Mondays for happy hour six to eight here at Mutiny Radio. All the comics, wonderful, hilarious people in the scene. Get to know them, hang out, do a set, have it recorded here and on a podcast at mutinyradio.fm and come in on Saturdays from four to six. Get long sets because no one ever shows up. So it's like stage time and people can listen. Come on by to Mutiny Radio. Get your comedy on, baby. Tell me what you think about your situation. Complication, aggravation. Is it getting to you? Then tune in live every Sunday from 12 to 2 p.m. to the edge of insanity with myself, Paul Brumbaugh. Kit Marie. Brandon Ray. And Mistress Christine. All on Mutiny Radio. That's right, PCRcollective.org. We'll see you there. San Francisco, back of the Southern Pacific Station at 3rd and Townsend, in red brick of drowsy, lazy afternoons with everybody at work in offices, in the air you feel the impending rush of their commuter frenzy, as soon they'll be charging en masse from market and sansom buildings on foot and in buses and all well-dressed through working man Frisco of walk-up truck drivers, and even the poor grime be marked 3rd Street of lost bums, even Negroes, so hopeless and long left east and meanings of responsibility and try, that now all they do is stand there spitting in the broken glass, sometimes 50 in one afternoon against one wall at 3rd and Howard. It is all these Milbray and San Carlos neat necktied producers and commuters of America and steel civilization rushing by with San Francisco Chronicles and green call bulletins, not even enough time to be disdainful. They've got to catch 130, 132, 134, 136, all the way up to 146 till the time of evening supper in homes of the railroad earth when high in the sky the magic stars ride above the following hotshot freight trains. It's all in California. It's all a sea. I swim out of it in afternoons of sun-hot meditation in my jeans with head on handkerchief on Brakeman's lantern or if not working... Good morning, mutineers. It's labor and love. Perfect lost purity. And feel the warp of wood. It's Jack Kerouac. Beneath me. And I have insane conversations with Negroes in second story windows above. And everything is pouring in. The switching moves of boxcars in that little alley, which is so much like the alleys of Lowell, and I hear far off in the sense of coming night that engine calling our mountains. But it was that beautiful cut of clouds I could always see above the little SP alley. Puffs floating by from Oakland, or the gate of Marin, to the north or San Jose south, the clarity of Cal to break your heart. It was the fantastic drowse and drum hum of lum mum afternoon, nothing to do. Old Frisco with end of land sadness. The people, 
the alley full of trucks and cars of businesses nearabouts. Nobody knew or far from cared who I was all my life, 3,500 miles from birth all opened up and at last belonged to me in great America. And now it's night in Third Street. The keen little neons and also yellow bulb lights of impossible to believe flops. The dark ruined shadows moving back of torn yellow shades like a degenerate China with no money. The cats in Annie's alley. The flop comes on, moans, rolls. The street is loaded with darkness. Blue sky above with stars hanging high over old hotel roofs and blowers of hotels moaning out dusts of interior. The grime inside the word in mouths falling out tooth by tooth. The reading rooms tick-tock big clock with creak chair and slant boards and old faces looking up over rimless spectacles bought in some West Virginia or Florida or Liverpool, England pawn shop long before I was born. And across rains, they've come to the end of the land sadness, end of the world gladness. All your San Francisco will have to fall eventually and burn again. But I'm walking, and one night, a bum fell into the hole of the construction job where they're tearing a sewer by day. The husky Pacific and electric youths in torn jeans who work there often, I think of going up to some of them, like, say, blonde ones with wild hair and torn shirts, and they say, you ought to apply for the railroad. It's much easier work. You don't stand around the street all day, and you get much more pay. But this bum fell in the hole. You saw his foot stick out. British MG, also driven by some eccentric, once backed into that hole. And as I came home from a long Saturday afternoon local, the Hollister, out of San Jose, miles away across virtuous fields of prune and juice joy, here's this British MG backed and legs up, wheels up into a pit and bums and cops standing right outside the coffee shop. It was the way they fenced it, but he never had the nerve to do it due to the fact that he had no money and nowhere to go and no, his father was dead, no, his mother was dead, no, his sister was dead, no, his whereabout was dead, was dead. But and then at that time also, I used to lay in my room on long Saturday afternoons listening to Jumpin' George with my fifth toque, no tea, and just under the sheets laugh to hear the crazy music. Mama, he treats your daughter mean. Mama, Papa, don't you come in here, I'll kill you, etc. Getting high by myself in room glooms, and all wondrous knowing about the Negro, the essential American, out there, always finding his solace, his meaning, in the Fellaheen street and not an abstract morality. And even when he has a church, you see the pastor out front bowing to the ladies on the make. You hear his great vibrant voice on the Sunday afternoon sidewalk full of sexual vibratos saying, why yes, ma'am, but the gospel do say that man was born of woman's womb. <laughs> no, and so, by that time I come crawling out of my warm sack and hit the street. When I see the railroad ain't gonna call me till 5 a.m. Sunday morning probably for a local out of Bay Shore, in fact, always for a local out of Bay Shore. And I go to the whale bar of all the wild bars in the world, the one and only Third and Howard. And there I go in and drink with the madmen, and if I get drunk, I get. The girl who come up to me in there one night, I was there with Al Buckle, said to me, you wanna play with me tonight, Jim? And I didn't think I, <laughs> I didn't think I had enough money. And I told this to Charlie Lowe, and he laughed, said, how do you know she wanted money? Always take the chance that she might be out just for love, or just out for love, you know what I mean, don't be a sucker. She was a good-looking doll, and she said, how would you like to ooh you cool with me, mon? And I stood there like a jerk, 
In fact, bought drink, got drink drunk that night in the 299 Club. I was hit by the proprietor, the band breaking up the fight. Before I had a chance to decide to hit him back, which I didn't want to do anyway. Not on the street. I tried to rush back in, but they had locked the door and were looking at me through the forbidden glass in the door with faces like undersea. I should have played with her shoo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-
Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. Woman done left, took the reason that I've been working for. You better not try to stand in my way as I'm walking out the door. You take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. Well, I've been working. In this family for now on 15 years. And all that time I watched my woman drowning in a pool of tears. I've seen a lot of good folk die, had a lot of bills to pay. I'd give the shirt right off my back if I had the goods to say. Take this job and show me. Good morning. Good morning, workers. Good morning, mutineers. This is the B back again at the 10 to 12 slot on Saturday morning. Seems like I've missed a few lately. <clears throat> this is the show where we tell you how it is. Labor and Love Radio. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is, where you work, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say you, labor and love radio, where the labor meets the road. So. What have we got for you today? What have 
are we bringing your way? Well, there's a strike, uh, strike, tentative settlement of the GM strike. So we'll run that down. Um, we'll listen to our radio labor worldwide labor report. We'll listen to another chapter of Fred Glass's history of California labor. Uh, and a whole lot more, as we say. Labor news, history, commentary, opinion, all from the point of view of you, the working person. Jimmy Paycheck ended our opening, our kickoff set with his classic, You Can Take This Job and Shove It. I Ain't Working Here No More. Sort of the... <clears throat> machismo answer to the job in capitalism. The job in capitalism requires subservience, requires that you give up all your rights when you come in, requires that you obey or else you get laid off. Well, in this case, Paycheck is laying himself off. Big hit for John, uh, Johnny Paycheck. Hazel Dickens preceded that with a lot of the same. Hazel Dickens is singing from the point of view of a working person and how all her work does, she gets poorer and the boss gets richer by the sweat of her brow. So that sweat is paying for the boss's increases in, in his resource. See, that's, that's the problem of capitalism. In capitalism, greed is endless. There's no end to greed. In other words, if you've got a million, you want to get a billion. you got a billion, you want to get a multi-billion. You always want to get more. People talk about middle class people. Well, part of being middle class for a lot of people is getting richer. Before that, Jack Kerouac and his beautiful uh, memoir of a working guy's life in San Francisco in the 50s, early 50s, October in the Railroad Earth, talking about how he gets a job in the, in the railroad and uh, beautiful poetic allusions to the life around this little flop house where he lived. October in the Railroad Earth. Let's take a look here at the labor beat. And then I want I do want to get into the GM strike. Let's see. Okay. Take it. You can take this job and shove it, huh? Um, so, yeah, uh, the GM strike. This article is about the fallout from the GM strike. It's a, from the Detroit Free Press. And it's dated uh, October 19th, today. Fallout from UAW GM strike continues 
with Blazer Build halted in Mexico. Strike is impacting the automakers' global production, despite the two sides having reached a tentative contract agreement. GM has temporarily halted production of the new 2020 Chevy Blazer SUV in Mexico due to a part shortage from the UAW nationwide strike. The automaker restarted production of the Chevrolet Impala sedan in Canada on Friday. It all comes on the news that the automaker plans a series of electric trucks. Okay, so About 46,000 UAW workers went on strike at 55 GM facilities in 10 states on September 16th. They have reached a tentative agreement, contract agreement with GM on Wednesday and have until October 25th to ratify or reject it. Experts say UAW got a good deal. Many labor experts and union leaders, many labor experts and union leaders say the UAW got a good deal from General Motors and expect union members to ratify it. Pardon me. In the meantime, about 46,000 workers will remain on strike while they learn about the tentative agreement and vote through next week. Okay. So the deal's on the table. Why are people against unions? Why are people against unions? Why are working people who are otherwise, you know, aware, smart, understanding. Why are they against unions? These are some of the excuses that people use and actually more than people. These are... Unions just want to line their own pockets. Don't you get that? They're just trying to line their own pockets. Ralph Durst, owner of California's largest... Unlike... Unlike bosses who have only our best interests at, at heart... Fallacy number one. The boss's interests are to make more money. You, your work makes them money. Your work feeds that board of directors away at the top <clears throat> with the fat salaries and all the perks. Number two. Well, other than uh, weekends, lunch breaks, uh, overtime pay, 
parental leave, uh, uh, pension plans, higher wages, and sick leave. What good have unions ever done? <laughs> I'll just leave that one. How about number three? A woman saying, I deserve less pay than men. Sure, the union's going to go try to get me more money or try to get me equal pay for equal work. But I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that at all. Good, let men make more money than me. Number four, here's a guy with a hook and mechanical hand and I wouldn't want the company wasting money making my job safer. Who's going to make your job safer? Okay. Is your manager or your business owner, are they such good people that they're going to make your job safer? I hope so, but probably not. And if it's run by a corporation, you'll have your own hard time making your job safer. The union will insist on your job being safer if it's a good union. The next guy says, oh, speaking objectively, all unions are evil, evil. Another woman says, I want right to work along with the right to be arbitrarily fired. I want that. Hmm. <laughs> These are the reasons people hate unions, okay? What have unions done for us? What have unions done for us? That second guy said it. What else? What are some other excuses? These other tired excuses people use. Who cares if unions reduce the pay gap between white and non-white workers? The other thing we must understand is that social justice comes from power. Okay, we're not going to change the world unless we have some power. And the only power we have is power as a team working together. It's wrong for unions to spend money influencing Congress or influencing legislatures. Only business should be able to do that. Well, they're doing it. They're doing it. The amount that businesses spent on lobbyists is in the billions, three billion. The amount that unions spent is 600 million, maybe one-fifth. Oh, here's another one. Maybe one day I'll get rich and I'll be the boss. Once that happens, I don't want some union getting in my way. And of course, all the other workers are saying, yeah, I'm going to be boss, I'm going to be boss. And finally, at the end, we ask, 
Who'd want more power at work? You know, who wants more power at work? No. The truth is, most of us don't want to rock the boat. We should be thankful to have a job. Even though every hour we work, we get ripped off for some of what we produce. Okay. Let's play some music, then we'll get into our show today. Jimmy Cliff.
Well, that was uh, Jimmy Cliff. And um, John Mayo. Not getting any, not getting John Mayall coming through. Hmm, interesting. Working here is such a challenge, right? Uh, at any rate, let's see what else we got on the GM strike. I wanted to uh, what the conditions of the strike were. Um, I know that uh, three plants are going to close. That's one thing. Three plants are going to close. Um, and the workers, the full-time workers, see now, this is one of the big issues that um, we're talking about. Um, the full-time workers are getting offered a one-time bonus of $11,000 if the, uh, the contract is, is uh, ratified. Part-time workers get 4500 And this is kind of a theme uh, in the whole... Uh, scheme of things that we divide the workers we divide the workers from the more senior uh, full-time people to those who are part-time get paid much less and uh, get also get uh, less money in terms of a settlement so Ah, let's see. Having some trouble here with uh, our stream. Okay. Um, so today I want to begin um, going through our labor history we're going one of these days on, on the show we're going to go through all 30 uh, labor cards and we're going to talk about each person I mean how long would that take 30 minutes for 10 cards I don't know um, okay Here's the article, The Price of Union at GM. This is the Wall Street Journal. Forty-six thousand workers. Most will have lost more in pay during the strike than they appear to have gained in a new contract. And Wall Street Journal saying even though GM lost two point five billion in profit. 
which will reduce the annual profit-sharing bonuses that go to workers. Well, they also reduce the profit that goes to the heads who might have uh, saved all that money. Workers with fewer than 10 years of employment will make $32 an hour after four years instead of eight years under the old contract. It also obtained two 4% annual lump sum bonuses and 3% annual wage increases. But it is not clear whether this is better than the GM's other offices. Uh, so, of course, Wall Street Journal is going to look at it from the point of view of capitalism. Um... I want to read one estimate that said that it looked like a good deal for labor. UAW got a good deal, some people are saying. Some people are saying not. Well, I say that they went on strike for a month and a half and they held together and they didn't collapse when they needed, you know, and everyone things started to pinch. It's a good agreement, said one UAW local leader after Thursday's meeting of the union's National GM Council. No, they didn't get guaranteed product. But you can't always get guarantees because the market is going to dip. If they don't ratify it, they're foolish. Here are some manufacturing wins. Uh, the Detroit uh, Hamtramck assembly plant, electric truck and van assembly. It's approximately $3 billion investment and 2,225 new jobs. Warren Tech Center, 75 jobs. Lansing Delta and Spring Hill, Tennessee assembly plants. 5,000 jobs. 2 billion investment in U.S. plant refurbishment. Even though the union lost its effort to keep Lordstown assembly plant in Ohio open, labor experts say Detroit Hamtramck staying open is a big win for the UAW. These plants were targeted for shutdown in November. To have your technological work on advanced vehicles being so close to the GM Tech Center in Warren, absent the UAW, that wouldn't happen. Says Harley Shaken, a professor at University of California. GM is putting as much as $3 billion into Detroit Hamtramck. That's a major gain. But the uncertainty certainty lies in the electric vehicles don't sell as, if, as expected. That potential investment and potentially 2,000 jobs might wither. Here's what GM's, GM wins. They get to close three plants. Dramatically expanded uh, Mexican operations over the last five years remain intact, giving it a source of low-wage advantage. That's right there in black and white. 
GM overall will be very profitable with this agreement because it retains a highly skilled, productive workforce and still has flexibility. Okay, this all is from the Detroit Free Press. Uh, all right, let's go for a minute on the labor beat. And then we'll get into some... Uh, Okay, Labor and Love Radio. If you ever want to look online on Facebook, look look uh, under Labor and Love Radio. And uh, you can access all the stories that we talk about here. Hmm. Okay, so it looks like, uh, what do we say? It's not a loss, huh? And let's see if we can get some music here. John Mayall. Looks like our... <clears throat> So, first two labor cards we're going to talk about are Walter P. Ruther. How apropos. Ruther was the head of the uh, United Auto Workers Union for many years. Um, sort of in the days when 1930s, when there was no big comprehensive auto union. Auto Workers Union. Luther and his associates organized it and went on strike, famous sit-down strikes of the 1930s. They went on strike and they took over the plant. This was uh, one of the precepts of... Uh, of uh, Lucy Parsons, who said the way to win a strike was not necessarily to parade around outside and try to raise uh, public opinion against your employer, but to stay inside and take over the plant. And that's what they did. Um, they took over the plant they sat in for several days. Uh, GM turned off the heat, uh, hired goons, had the police actively working on their side until the governor, Frank Murphy, stepped in. Um, ultimately, they won. And they organized the GM plant and later, 1940, the Ford plant. During these organizing drives, Ruther was standing outside the headquarters, the building, the factory, and some company goons attacked him and one of his associates and beat them up. 
And uh, nothing could have been better for the strike than to have that open aggressiveness, that open violence, which had every, all workers knew about. Workers had been killed, murdered, lynched, tortured. But there it was in black and white in Time magazine all over the country. Walter P. Ruther became well-known. And by 1940, the union had organized the Ford plant, which was the toughest of all because of its enforcer. Henry Ford had hired an ex-boxer named William Bennett to enforce his control over his factory. Finally, even Ford capitulated. And uh, Luther went on to be one of the main labor leaders in the, uh, of the 20th century, although he was uh, instrumental in driving out what were called communists. And in this way, the, the labor union lost a lot of its most successful organizers. The uh, people in the Communist Party. Or people that other people figured were communists. Right? I mean, what can you say? Dolores Huerta is our other one. Dolores Huerta, of course, one of the main honchos of the farm workers movement. Under the uh, leadership of Cesar Chavez, and even though Chavez gets a lot of the credit, he was the face, after all, of the movement, and he was very adept, very adept at organizing and getting people to his side, at presenting the case for uh, farm workers. Um, even though he receives a lot of the credit, it was Dolores Huerta who did a lot of the work, did a lot of the grunt work, the negotiating once, once a company had agreed to deal with the union, the negotiating was taken over by large part by, uh, by Dolores Huerta. She was born in New Mexico. Family lived in uh, Stockton. She grew up, had a, a comfortable life. She was a cheerleader, went to high school, uh, very active in community events, but always aware of the prejudice that she and her people were facing. Decided to become a school teacher and saw the kids coming in with uh, bare feet, the farm worker kids in dirty clothes and being made fun of by their classmates. She decided that it would be better to be an organizer and uh, 
Therein lies the tale. She's still organizing today. She was arrested uh, two weeks ago in a demonstration. Famously beaten by a San Francisco cop who jabbed her with his billy club. Anyway, Dolores Huerta. All right, let's see what we got here. Okay, we're playing. All right, mister, we're ready. Where's the announcer, man? Ladies and gentlemen, John hey, Mayo. Hey, I'll say it again, John Mayo. Okay, well, not getting a... Here we are at Mutiny Radio, and uh, looks like our internet has failed us here. Sing one more song and we'll have an intermission. 
about Been reading my dream book Ain't no way in the world a kid gonna get took Nigga, what you mean I didn't hit? Nigga, you full of shit Licked eyes uh, Now seven Come on, be nice and hit eleven Well, what do you know? It's little Joe Hey, my man got twenty dollars Say, little Joe don't blow Ha, baby needs a pair of shoes Ha, papa's got the funky blues Ha, mama plays the crossword in the news Snake eyes Cash your welfare checks Cause the white man's got a God complex But I got ten babies, I ain't got no man I ain't got no choice but to hold out my hand And feed my young ones the best way I can Hey man, what you mean no doubles on blackjack? Punk, you better change that rule Cause I ain't no fool You better be cool Jim or you'll die next Cause the white man's got a God complex Hey, my man, uh, I wanna cop a nickel bag uh, You say all oh, you got is skag Wow, that's a drag Cause uh, I don't wanna cop no Dope is death Next cause The white man's got a God complex Hey, baby, what's the gig at tonight? Well, there's one over at Slicks for faggots and tricks There's one around graveyard side of town That'll cost you a pound But if you go and know what I know You better pack your piece at least Or you'll die next Cause the white man's got a God complex Mr. Stein, I done paid enough rent For this pad to be mine But you just wanna cheat me cause I ain't your kind Damn, can't you see the place is falling down? No, you can't dig it cause you ain't never around Damn, I'm so poor I don't know what in the hell I'ma do anymore Not from this day to the next Cause the white man's got a God complex I'm making guns I'm God I'm God I'm making bombs I'm God I'm, God. I'm making gas I'm God I'm making freak machines I'm God Right control pills I'm God Kill Indians who discovered him I'm God Kill Japanese with the A-bomb I'm God Kill the still killing black people I'm God Enslaving Earth I'm God No way to the moon I'm God The White Man's Got a God Complex by the, the Last Poets. And man, if, if they thought the president at that time, the white man then had a God complex, they should see this guy. A God complex. The more the man gets backed into a corner, the more arrogant he becomes. There seems to be no end to it. People say, well, they're not going to get him. They're not going to get him. But he keeps messing up. He keeps doing worse and worse and worse things. Let's see if we can get on radio labor. Radio labor is our worldwide labor show. 
They tell about uh, labor movements all over the world and organize. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, October 18th, 2019. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, national debt levels are again rising to dangerous levels while corporations hide their trillions in profits and workers are victimized. The Labor Start report about union events around the world and singing. This is Radio Labor. Labor leaders are warning that sovereign debt levels around the world are dangerously high and that this may hit working people hard. To find out more about the crisis, I talked to Daniel Bertossa. Mr. Bertossa is the Assistant General Secretary of Public Services International. The PSI is the global union which represents public service unions at the world level. I asked Mr. Bertossa why sovereign debt levels are such a concern and how widespread the problem is. Well, Mark, the problem has always been widespread. Since 1970, on average, eight countries per annum have suffered from a sovereign debt crisis. And when you take into account their their neighbours and their trading partners, most workers in their lives will feel the consequences of of a sovereign debt crisis. But recently, the overall debt levels have been rising, even from those background levels, and UN figures have shown the global debt stock has risen almost 14-fold from the 1980s, when it was just 14 trillion US dollars, to almost 200 trillion US dollars in 2016. And so that's quite uh, an incredible increase in the amount of debt that's floating around out there. And this this is happening for a couple of reasons, but the main overarching reason is what we call, or what economists call, the creation of a rentier economy. And this is an economy where corporations are extracting wealth uh, from the economy as opposed to actually creating it. And one of the reasons for this is because of the way in which debt has increased through things like financial deregulation, which has allowed an increase in risky lending and often outright speculative lending. And this has seen finance become a much, much larger part of the global economy. And at exactly the same time, governments have given away their ability to control uh, this enormous amount of money that's floating around the world because they've signed up to bilateral investment treaties and trade and investment agreements that mean that they can't... They've given away their capital controls. They've given away their ability to control the the movements of capital in and out of their country. And in fact, what we've seen is that these movements are increasing. And so they were at about 5% of world GDP in 1990. But in 2070, these capital flows around the world are now about 20% of world GDP. And what's important as we think about this rentier economy, this economy where corporations capture wealth as opposed to making it, is that these capital flows have risen over that period three times faster than GDP. So we're seeing more money moving around, but we're seeing less of that money being actually used to invest in things like like factories. At the same time, we're also seeing a shift in the amount of that wealth that workers are getting. 
So again, in the 1970s, about 55% of GDP went to workers, and in, by 2015, that had fallen to about 40%. And so for workers who are attempting to make ends meet or to uh, keep up with the cost of living, workers and consumers are being forced to take out more household debt. So overall, we've got an economy that's, that's economic growth is based on debt and extraction of wealth, not production. We've got more debt. We've got less financial regulation, less capital controls that allow governments to control this larger amount of debt, and we've got workers getting less and being forced into higher levels of household debt. Why are labour organisations so concerned about sovereign debt? When, when a national uh, debt crisis hits, it's, it's usually workers who, who suffer, uh, and it's often not those who've assumed that debt in, in the first place, the private sector or the banks. And so growth drops, jobs disappear, and often inflation rises and the cost of living goes up, so workers struggle to make ends meet. And when this happens, governments will often try to balance the books. So they cut pensions, they cut public services, and they also uh, will try to privatise, uh, often at exactly the worst time in terms of getting a reasonable price for assets, if privatisation was ever a good idea. Um, and the other thing that we'll often do is that the, uh, the governments will try to restart economic growth by deregulating uh, labour rules and cutting wages. It also is a problem of loss of democracy. When a, when a government gets itself into a debt crisis, it finds that it becomes uh, beholden to the creditors. Uh, sometimes they're private creditors, sometimes they're the international financial institutions. And these creditors are able to impose conditions uh, on that government. And they usually are the ones that I've mentioned, cuts to pensions, cuts to public services and privatisations. And these, are, these, are, these all hurt workers. Uh, and combined, uh, what this often does is creates political instability. Because it wasn't the workers normally who were responsible for the creation of the debt crisis, but when, these, when this debt is socialised, it's workers who often pay the price. And this creates a high degree of political instability. And we've seen all over the world when this happens, the rise of nationalist politics and right-wing governments. And that is something that workers never, ever benefit from. What are some of the solutions for handling the debt crisis? It's always important to remember that debt is not a problem in itself. Uh, and governments have debt, just like households have debt, for very productive reasons. Uh, and so when... When governments are borrowing, often at, at you know, fairly um, competitive rates to fund infrastructure or to fund uh, productive spending, then that's normally okay. And, and what is really useful is these arbitrary rules we see where governments set themselves a certain level of debt or they impose a certain level of debt on another country. Because when the economy is in a downturn, it makes sense to borrow more to stimulate the economy. And when the economy is doing well, then it makes sense to rein that spending in uh, and borrow less and pay down that debt as a way of cooling down uh, economies that are overheating. But of course, it's always best to avoid racking up too much debt. And one of the most important lessons we've learned from the global financial crisis is that we must re-regulate financial markets because uh, what we've seen is that if you allow uh, banks in particular but also large corporations to borrow without consequence, 
to, to, to create risk but not have to assume the consequences for when those risks go badly, then that creates a lot of what they call moral hazard, which is when risks are created to the economy that individuals don't have to take responsibility for. And in fact, this is what we saw in the global financial crisis. A lot of the debts that we see in countries today, the governments have taken on, but they started off as private debts and the government assumed the responsibility for those private debts. Um, and part of this is that we need to stop corporations uh, lobbying and capturing the rulemaking process because at the moment we've created an economy where these corporations can borrow, run up risk but not assume that responsibility. And, and that's happened because a lot of these corporations are lobbying uh, international uh, rulemakers to allow this to happen. Here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Each day, Labor Start's volunteers collect hundreds of news items about workers and their unions from around the world in 31 languages. Here's a small sample of those stories. Our top stories section included links to coverage of the condemnation by unions of Turkey's invasion of Syria, union reaction to the Brexit deal, and the global mobilization in solidarity with persecuted trade unionists in Indonesia and in Algeria. We also had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. We carried stories about wage strikes by prison guards in Paraguay, public transport workers in South Korea, Venezuelan and American teachers, and forestry workers in Canada. Strikes against rollbacks were being mounted by American auto workers, Canadian laundry workers, and mine workers in India. Walkouts caused by ongoing government austerity policies run away this week in Algeria, where education workers were fighting for a fair share of their country's budget. France, where firefighters were resisting changes to public pensions. And in Bolivia and Spain, where healthcare workers were protesting service cuts and understaffing by performing only urgent duties. Attacks on basic labor rights provoked responses from municipal workers in Costa Rica who were protesting new laws that limit their ability to strike, and banana plantation workers in Panama who won a wage increase along with recognition of their union. Our Working Women pages, now available in eight languages, included stories about the survey of British workers that revealed that 25% of women will not report sexual harassment in the workplace for fear of being sacked, and how Irish unions are working to integrate menopause into workplace sickness policies. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the mounting death toll in Bangladeshi shipbreaking yards, the fight to end workplace murder after the fifth death at a Canadian bakery, and the struggle for safe work by Australian food delivery riders. Currently, Start is running two online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Union Nation with Rebel Girl.
That's it. International labor news you can use. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.
And that was Metallica with the Puppet Master. Discussing all kinds of masters, of course, but mainly that of drugs. American sadness, wrote Richard Rodriguez, has made billionaires out of Mexican drug dealers. American sadness, the way we live. Marx wrote about alienation. And drugs are a way, seemingly a way out of that, alienation. A way of amping up your life. Obey your master. Okay, we're, we're going to head out now to Golden Land's Working Hands. The history by Fred Glass of the California Labor Movement. We've reached a point now where we're in the 1920s. Let's hear how it goes. Ralph Durst, owner of California's largest hop ranch, wants harvest workers, and he gets them. Nearly 3,000 men, women, and children speaking two dozen languages appear in response to his advertisements. But there are jobs for less than half of them. That's fine with Durst. He uses the extra workers to lower wages. He supplies nine outdoor toilets, which quickly overflow. There is no plan for removing garbage or waste. It's August. Despite 100-degree heat, Durst makes no water available in the fields. That's because his cousin is selling a special lemonade made from citric acid. Workers and their families soon get diarrhea, dysentery, and typhoid. The camp reeks. Of the industrial workers of the world, a radical union which has had some success organizing in seasonal industries like lumber and agriculture. They lead a peaceful protest of conditions on Durst's ranch. It's for the life of the kids that we're doing this, says Blackie Ford. Durst calls the law. A deputy fires into the air, starting a fight which leaves four dead. IWW leaders Blackie Ford and Herman Sewer are convicted of murder, although neither was armed and Sewer wasn't even in the camp when the shooting occurred. Shocked by the events, the state government sets up a commission to investigate farm labor conditions. Sanitation improves at the Durst Ranch, but little else changes for California farm workers. During the First World War, the American economy prospers. Jobs are plentiful and AFL unions grow. San Francisco shipyards hire men like John Mackin, whose union dues book shows steady work for the war years. The San Francisco Chamber of Commerce stages a preparedness day parade in July 1916. 
the event is meant to whip up public enthusiasm for the country's entry into the war overseas. The Labor Council boycotts the event. Its newspaper argues that if the United States enters the war, working people will be sent to fight and die while the rich stay safe at home getting richer. Already government contracts to the shipping companies building vessels for the war guarantee them huge profits. Ship owner Robert Dollar reflects the attitude of maritime employers when he casually remarks, The best way to end a strike is to send ambulances full of picketers to the hospital. At the parade, a bomb goes off. No one knows what has happened. Dead and injured are strewn over the street and sidewalks. Ten persons are killed, 40 seriously injured. The world was shocked by this horrible and mysterious disaster. Despite obvious perjury by prosecution witnesses, union organizer Tom Mooney is sentenced to death and Warren Billings to life imprisonment. The Mooney case seems like a rerun of the McNamara brothers. At least the employers hope to use it the same way in San Francisco. There is one difference. Mooney and Billings are innocent. Nevertheless, their case becomes part of a broader anti-union propaganda campaign, including this film. In November 1916, the employers put an anti-picketing initiative on the city ballot. They hire 400 operators to call voters. When the proposition passes, picketing becomes punishable by 50 days in jail. This new law helps defeat strikes of restaurant workers and longshoremen. The sailor's turn comes in 1921, when ship owners force a strike that all but destroys the Seamen's Union. In the years after the war, employers' organizations such as the San Francisco Industrial Association patriotically call the open shop idea the American Plan. They attempt to equate unionism with revolution, anarchy, and violence. They point to Russia. In 1917, the Bolshevik Party takes power in the name of the working class. Capitalism is abolished. While some American capitalists are genuinely frightened that it could happen here, other employers and politicians cynically use fear of revolution to create an anti-union propaganda tool. In newspapers, politics, and movies, open shop advocates create a red scare and a public atmosphere of intolerance, of hatred, and fear towards difference. The California legislature passes the vaguely worded Criminal Syndicalism Act. It gives sweeping anti-union powers to law enforcement agencies. These powers are displayed in 1923 during an IWW-led strike in Southern California. Writer Upton Sinclair is arrested, along with striking maritime workers, for the crime of reading the Bill of Rights allowed to a rally on Signal Hill overlooking the San Pedro Harbor. In San Diego and San Pedro, IWW halls are wrecked and burned by mobs. Vigilantes pour scalding coffee on children of IWW members. Even Walt Disney puts in his two cents. He produces an animated cartoon that features a little red troublemaking rooster who attempts to organize discontent among the hens. <laughs> AFL unions shrink back to pre-war levels. Ku Klux Klan members march in Richmond and get elected in Oakland. Across the country, thousands of Russian immigrants are rounded up and deported.
with the IWW leadership in jail and the AFL unable or unwilling to organize, corporations present themselves as looking out for the workers' welfare. Some form company unions and put on dances. Others sponsor employee sports leagues. But many people, such as Ventura County ranch hand Bill Rogers and his friends, don't rely on corporate culture for their fun. They seem to be saying, you can always make your own. Corporate-sponsored activities can't hide the oppressive realities of the open shop, especially in mass production industries. Henry Ford opens an auto plant in Long Beach. Assembly line speeds force eight of nine auto workers to leave their jobs within a year after they are hired. Longshoremen must reapply for their jobs every morning in what was called the shape-up, belonged to a do-nothing company union, and bribed foremen to get work. Fifty thousand women work in canneries, where California's huge agricultural and fishing industries package raw foods for consumers' tables. A third are Mexican immigrants. The work is low-paid and deadly in its repetition. Poor working conditions lead to a high number of injuries. The decade following World War I was known as the Roaring Twenties, or the Jazz Age, but it wasn't so jazzy for most working people. Could things get worse? Oh, yes. Consider the effects of the stock market crash in 1929. So there were no jobs for incoming workers. Everywhere, the same story. Men looking for work, not finding it. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for your kind, understanding attention here tonight. And I hope that someday we will have the opportunity of meeting under more auspicious circumstances. Okay, that was uh, chapter three of the chapter four of the uh, history of California labor uh, by Fred Glass, Golden Lands Working Hands, it's called. And uh, the twenties were not a good time for organized labor, and things got even worse at the end of that decade when uh, the economy fell apart basically from overproduction, over-lending, over-financial manipulation. It all came crashing down, as it always does. Scholars of capitalism admit that boom and bust are part of capitalist history. And uh, we know about the bust of 2008. Others are warning, as, as you heard on Radio Labor, that, again, debt is way out of hand. And, of course, it ends up, who ends up paying the debt? Working people with money that's deducted from their wage, from their productivity. Okay, I want to play a special one right now 
course, they're all special. Today happens to be the birthday of my daughter, Vita. This one's dedicated to you. Eras niña de largos silencios y ya me querías bien. Tu mirada buscaba la mía, jugabas a ser mujer. Pocos años ganados al tiempo, vestidos con otra piel. Y mi vida que nada esperaba también te quería vivir. Extrañaba ya tanto que al no verte a mi lado ya soñaba con volverte a ver. Y entre tanto te estaba inventando de niña mujer. Y esa niña de largos silencios volaba tan alto que mi mirada quería alcanzarla y no la podía ver. La paraba en el tiempo pensando que no debería crecer. Pero el tiempo me estaba engañando, mi niña se hacía mujer. La quería ya tanto que al partir de mi lado ya sabía que la iba a perder. Y es que el alma le estaba cambiando de niña a mujer. La quería ya tanto que al partir de mi lado ya sabía que la iba a perder. Y es que el alma le estaba cambiando de niña a mujer. celebrate tonight.
Okay, that was uh, Coco Taylor, the Wang Dang Doodle, preceded by Julio Iglesias de Niña Mujer, as I said, in celebration of my daughter's birthday, October 19th, 1992. Let's see if we can get Willie Dixon here. Willie Dixon, of course, one of the masters of the uh, blues idiom. Also a uh, conscientious objector. And making a kind of variety of the program, it requires a lot of different facts of life that we must know about. And when you think about various nations of the earth, the various religions of the earth, the various nationalities, the various people all over the world. He also wrote that we song, been able to I make want to make violent love to Anything you. that we want to Remember make. Remember that song? Yeah. Do anything In we want to do. I just want to make love to So he's got two, the just regular and the violent. That created miracles. But it don't make sense when we can't make peace. You know, you made everything else. Wise men, great men, from every nation in the world, all the countries in the world, have all kinds of conventions and festivals. Spend all the money. Suppose you had to spend half as much money on trying to make peace as you have been making war. Okay, this is the B, and we're signing off another Saturday from 10 to 12. I had the pleasure of being with you. Hope that you have a good week and good work. Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. When I say labor, I mean you. So happy birthday to my daughter, Vita. And hello, hello to Sylvia, to Selena. Vida, nice to visit Suni and Carlos this week. Everybody have a good week. Earl up there in Sacramento. Labor and love loves you. you have me. Come on down to Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street, and find your voice. Become who you are. They've got a complete uh, community arts center here going on here besides the radio, besides the comedy, besides the art installations and the video and the meetings. Come on down and find your voice. This is the B signing off. 
See you next week. Law Tigers, we fight for motorcyclists. We're not just motorcycle lawyers, we're part of the riding community. Law Tigers watches over riders. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, we'll help you get your motorcycle repaired or replaced and assist you with your damaged gear too. We're by your side every step of the way. With the Law Tigers, you never ride alone. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, call 1-800-LAW-TIGERS or visit us on the web at lawtigers.com. The Law Tigers, California's motorcycle lawyer. Victor Harris, Harris Law Firm, LLP, 180 Chromatic Circle, Suite 300, Sacramento, California, 95834.
mutinyradio.fm. Hit the donate button, stream them live, download a podcast, have some fun! Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on mutinyradio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... Uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch Apply now for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2020 coming up March 1st through 7th, 2020. But you can apply now through November 30th. 50 shows in seven days, over 50 comics from all around the U.S., and you could be one of them. Go to the Mutiny Radio website, www.mutinyradio.fm. Click the Apply button. Pay that 20 bucks. Donate to Mutiny Radio and apply with your five-minute video to the Mutiny Radio 5th Annual Comedy Festival coming up March 1st through 7th, 2020. Submissions close November 30th. Get those submissions in now. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. 
Hungry for a burger? Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van Ness. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of hide kids? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. If not live comedy, to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, They came together this year as they have in years of the past and will in years to come. They came together from the corners of the world, corners of the nation, corners of the city, corners of the streets. Call 1-800-LAW-TIGERS or visit SunWeb at LawTigers.com. The law Somebody! Somebody! I may be poor, but I am somebody. I am God's child. What time is that? Live streaming radio. Tonight. Or download a podcast you can listen is on the go. Film. Listen to live streaming radio. Film. Or download a podcast and you can listen on the go.